listening to the OKest Fisher Podcast, part of the OKest Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Stry and Greg Tubbs. Hey there, welcome back to the OKest Fisher Podcast. How are we doing, Matt? We're here. How are you doing? We are here. It is a Sunday. It is. <laughs> We're coming at you on a Sunday. Not exactly. You're going to hear us when you hear us, but... We don't have a guest tonight. We're just kind of chewing the fat a little bit. Rando Fish Talk, I believe, is the title of this one. Yeah, it's quite rando. Uh, <laughs> what's going on in your neck of the woods? I, I know ice conditions are not looking the best, um, but people are getting out and doing some fishing. Sure. Yeah, there's ice to be had down by us. It's um, definitely foot travel and travel at your own risk. But there is, uh, where I live, a lot of tribs are opened up and ready for some steelhead action. What's up by you? Um, guys hitting the river, mostly for walleye. Uh, I would say the rock and crawfish. Uh, the rock is a pretty big, big fishery. Um, not big in size, but it is a pretty popular destination for people to go just because, I don't know, it's close. But I did have a buddy that was up uh, up by the Dells, and he was catching some fish on the Wisconsin River between the Pete and Well and Castle Rock flowages. So those are all open. Um, I know guys are catching them on certain pools of the Mississippi even. Yeah, most of the major rivers I feel like are open now. Um, that kind of usually means the end of solid ice fishing. Granted, you go north, there's still some good ice probably north of Highway 29 here in Wisconsin. Um, but down south of that, it's enter at your own risk. So. Yeah. Yeah, this is the point where like you and I have already talked. The, the ice fishing gear stowed away. We're pretty much packed it in for the year and, and done and looking into turkey hunting and some open water, hopefully to get on some trib fish. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get to doing any trib fish, fishing in the next couple of weeks is just with vacation coming um i'm kind of in vacation mode no oh, i hear you man it's on uh the viewers can't see it but you were spooling up one of your uh casting rigs out in for surf fishing so yeah as as we speak i'm uh spooling up one of the reels with uh some 30 pound true braid so we're gonna give that a try this year uh for surf fishing so you got your eyes set on uh, warm water, which has been the topic of our past couple of weeks. So maybe we switch it up a little bit and talk about some stuff you could be fishing around here. Yes, I would fully agree. Um, a lot of boats come out of the shed, obviously, with, with the rivers being open. So you got to wonder almost what guys are getting into, what they're finding for problems with those boats before they... Before they get them out on the water, or maybe they're not finding the problems until they get it out on the water, which would be awful. <laughs> the stuff they stowed away in October and said, I'll worry about it in spring. Yeah. You know. Yep. I've but, heard that before. Yep. And everything makes a great house for a mouse. So Exactly. And I don't know. I mean, you and I, I think, talked about this once upon a time, too, where there's certain brand of dryer sheets really work well for keeping mice out, and had people say no no dryer sheets work at all so maybe they forgot a, a bag of sunflower seeds in their dash or something i don't know 
I have always had good luck, even in my ice fishing stuff, there's the downy sheets. The downy? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I, I think uh, we tried uh, an off-brand of downy, and it didn't work. I had good luck with the bounce sheets. Those are pretty potent as well. Sure, sure. But I, I know for a fact, if you think you need two, put 12 in there. Yes. Because you can never have too many of those things. <laughs> yes, sir. So, trip fishing, let's talk a little bit on that. I mean, you've got some experience at that, way more than I do, in fact. Um, like, do you, are you going down there multiple rods, one rod? Or what do you, what do you like to do with that? So, it, it really depends on, on water conditions, um, high level you know, if it's a high water, low water, um, and the clarity of it too. I, I usually go down with two regardless of the situation and kind of play it by ear when I get down there. Um, I know there'll be some pros that, you know, will only use, you know, center pin reels and run strictly floats with, you know, spawn sacks on them in the tribs. But I do that also. I love running crankbaits, spinnerbaits, because it's it's something about reeling it in and getting that instant reaction bite that just, it's lights out for trout in the spring. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I mean, I've never done the major trip fishing, like like I said, but when I fish the streams of Montana, that that reaction bite to a spinner getting rolled right past them is, is a lot of fun. They just, they come out of nowhere and slash at it and, and hit it pretty hard and run. Yep, I will say the majority of the time when we're when we catch fish on crankbaits or, or little spinners, it's usually the brown trout. Um, you definitely you'll catch a steelhead here or there. Seems like the steelhead for whatever reason this time of year loved keying in on that spawn sack floating down. Um, I'm no expert at it. I grew up near the Milwaukee River. I worked near the Milwaukee River, so we'd go out after work fishing all the time. Um, and nine times out of ten, I'd be throwing either a crankbait or or some sort of spinner bait to catch fish. So sure. Well, and you don't have to worry about keeping those baits refrigerated, do you? Nope. Exactly. You don't have to buy them. You don't have to catch a fish to make them yourself. Nothing like that. Just get out there, cast and nice. You catch the occasional, you know, bonus pike or smallmouth with it too. So sure. Now you say spawn sacks. Are you using actual fish row and like some mesh bag material or are you tying your own or are you buying them pre-made so i i never had the option of catching fish plentiful enough to make my own out of eggs from fish i caught so I either would buy them from the bait store or know people who would tie me some up um never for cost or anything because you can't sell bait fit or you can't sell eggs unless you got a license for it but um yeah, I would either do it that way, or we tried the artificial stuff for a while. Never had the same type of luck. Um, did have some good luck on the beads, you know, running eight, ten millimeter uh, beads on top of your hooks, and you get some good luck just running bare hooks and those beads down. But it always seems like they always want the spawn. Yeah, well, a spawn's got some scent and some flavor to it versus a bead. I mean, it's it's definitely a sight, and ooh, look at that, there's one, and just go up and eat it. How high are you uh, placing that bead above the hook? I mean, I've, I've seen different people run run things differently. So the nice thing about how we rigged them up is um, we actually had, I, I don't know the technical term for it, and I'll probably get some, some graph for not knowing it, but it's basically a, you run the bead, 
put the bead on, tie the tie the hook on, and then you got a a rubber like tapered uh, rubber stop. Okay. So you can pick and choose the height you want to do it. Nine times out of ten, we were within three inches of the hook. Okay. And you would just pull that through, cinch it tight, and cut off the ends so it would stay put. Because the the theory behind it is they would bite the bead, and then you would go to set the hook, and you would drive the hook into the side of their face or into the corner of their jaw, and that would be a proper hook set. So you don't want to go too crazy high where you're not going to get a hook set out of it, but you don't want to go too crazy low either where they potentially could see the hook and, you know, freak out because of that. Sure. So you peg the bead, you peg the bead a certain distance, so then that, that hook is essentially catching them as it's pulling through their mouth. Correct. Correct. Gotcha. Um, fluorocarbon, monofilament, braid. How, how are you setting your rod up? So I always ran uh, braid and then tied on a leader. And it was usually, since I'm the okayest fisher, whatever was on sale. Um, nine times out of 10, I ran mostly floral. Um, don't know why, just probably because of the sale price and it worked for me. Um, I know people that run both, but that's usually what I ran out there. Sure. What pound test? Uh, 30 pound test on the braid and then 10 to 14 pound for the leader. Okay. Um, you do catch fish bigger than that, but that seems to be a pretty solid. I mean, I've lost fish that way, but pretty pretty solid if you go that route. Gotcha. Hmm. And then if I'm running just a straight spinner or a crankbait or something, that's straight straight braid to a uh, I either tie it on or have a quick quick uh, attach for um, switching lures out quick. But fair enough. Yeah, that works. So, you haven't made it out yet, obviously. You and I have been talking about trying to get out. But if you were going to go, would you hit a harbor first or one of the trips right now? Well, where I live currently, I would hit a harbor because I'm walking distance away from a harbor. Um, if I lived closer to, say, Milwaukee or Racine or Kenosha, I would definitely be hitting some trips. I think I think they're starting to move up now. Um the run may not be in full effect, but it's not necessarily a time frame. It's more of high water. Once they sense a high water close to their spawn time, they'll start to run upstream. Sure. That, that rain, even though it feels cold to us, is going to be warmer to them. So it, that, that it causes that swell and absorbs a lot of heat from the swollen ground, and, and then it, uh, it warms that up, and they want to be in there. Yep, it almost triggers them to start swimming upstream, so... Fair enough. Well, and I assume browns are are, are spawning right now. They are, but they also, we, we call them holdovers. Like, there's a lot of browns that stay in the rivers year-round. Um, I mean, I've caught fish back-to-back days, one in the river, one in the harbor, and they're two completely different color tones. The muddy-colored ones, the darker-colored browns, they spent the majority of their life in the river. Dirtier water, um and then the clear ones, the, the shinier ones you catch, those are usually ones that spend most of their life in the lake. Sure. Well, and we've got two strains of brown, uh, you know, in in Lake Michigan. We've got the Seaferone and we have uh, the German brown. And both get big. I think the Seaferones get a little bigger because they usually spend their time out more in the deeper water. And I, I don't think they go much past 80 feet, but... 
at least I've never caught one out that far. I think I've heard of some charter boats catching them that deep. Sure. Yeah, usually it's uh, this time of year if you're out in your boat in the harbors, uh, top 20 foot of the water column. Sure. Pulling crankbaits more than likely or spoons, smaller spoons. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Something closer to the top. I can recall some time ago in my younger years going out uh, end of March, beginning of April in a little 16-footer out of port, uh, pulling small orange spoons, orange and gold spoons, and catching shaker browns. So it's it's all relative. Like you said, that year my, I think we didn't get out there because the ice got out late. But as of right now, I believe there there's no ice to be seen anywhere on Lake Michigan. Not any safe ice, no. Cool. Well, how about talking some walleye? You ever do much spring walleye fishing? I would love to say that I have, but I think I did it once um, because we didn't want to be at a baby shower, and we decided to go up in the Fox Valley and try to catch some walleye from shore. So I am usually in the tribs fishing this time of year. Um, I'll give the mic back to you to talk a little bit about (laughs) spring walleye fishing. I have done some, but not enough to be... uh, yeah, we're proclaimed expert. Were you, and I'm by no means an expert at either. I mean, I've got buddies that are much better at it than I am because they put the time in. You know, they, they, their life revolves around fishing and it shows in other ways. But they, uh, th- these are guys that I used to go fishing with as a kid. So I learned a bunch from them. And I, I can honestly say, you know, from a teenager on, I did my share of, uh, river walleye fishing in the crawfish and the rock and beaver dam rivers around here probably mostly the rock because it was right there so but pretty much like right around saint patrick's day things started to open up pretty good most of the time i mean i remember some years saint patrick's day fishing in a t-shirt and catching catfish Mm -hmm. but for the most part fishing you know the traditional way jigging minnow jigging plastic um, there's certain parts of the river I can go in there with a with a pink and white jig head and a and a blue pearl Kalen's twister tail, and and just catch all sorts of short walleyes like cast after cast, and then I can take that same jig and twister and go you know the Rock River but further south and they won't even sniff at it. I got to have a minnow on, and it's usually got to be on a Lindy rig with like a green and yellow float or an orange and yellow float all depends on again water clarity um but i think green seems to be like the most universal color green and chartreuse for walleye and that can be you know on a lindy float or even a jig head for that matter they just like a little bit of flash of color especially when you get a lot of muddy water running you get a rain and all of a sudden the the river gets pretty dingy have you ever uh, putzed around with, so the little bit of time I spent wading the river for walleye in the spring um, is usually on a three-way rig. Yeah. So we got a weighted a weighted hair jig and then a three-way swivel 18 inches up and then a, just a hair fly. You ever putz around with that much? I have, I have a couple people I know that are really successful with it. I have not tried it. I don't know. I just I looked at it and said, that's more stuff than I want to deal with tangling up. Um, but I've watched people fish it quite successfully. And I think the fly is not new by any means, 
but the fly has definitely gained in popularity. That three-way rig with a smaller jig, either a bucktail jig on the bottom or a jig head with with a a plastic of your choice, whether it's white chartreuse, motor oil, uh, blue pearl, whatever it is, three-inch, four-inch, you're going to fish with whatever the fish are telling you, obviously, there. But you need a jig heavy enough to be able to hold that to the bottom and and not drift around too much. And then, like you said, that three-way rig with that fly off the back, um, That I've, I've seen guys clean house with that fly. Hardly catch anything on the jig. The jig is just there as an added attractant and to hold that jig right in place or hold that fly in, in place in the current. And most of the time, walleyes are belly to the bottom and they, they're feeding up anyway. So they see that fly, like you said, 18 inches away from the bottom that's right at perfect level and that's all adjustable which is really handy mm-hmm. but yeah it, it's a great presentation to uh, add something different to your to your setup to what you're throwing and i will say so i don't have a boat to fish the wall i run so when i go out and fish it's with the waders and you're kind of combating the the higher water levels and stuff like that and that's primarily what we threw and it's either we timed it wrong, but we would catch a lot of saugers. Um, and there would be times, I'd say, if we fish for three, four hours, I'm not joking, we would catch 50, 60 saugers, and half of those would be doubles. So we'd catch the bigger one on the bottom and a smaller one on the top of the fly. And it would just, the second you cast it out there, you let it drift four or five feet, you'd be reeling it in because you already had two on. That's pretty, just kinda, that's pretty that awesome. Show, yeah, I was going to say, that shows how you time it right, how good the run can be, but if you time it wrong, how bad the run can be. <laughs> we just happened to time it right that, that day. So Yeah, well, and my experience has been, at least on the rock and crawfish rivers here, like right now, guys are starting to experience a really good sauger bite. And saugers are usually the first ones to start running, but they're also a bit more aggressive than a yep. walleye. They don't get as big. They get some really cool markings on them. They taste just as good. You're not going to be able to tell the difference once they're in the fry pan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Walleye, sauger, doesn't matter. If you don't get to catch many of them, it's still a win in my book. Well, you're catching fish regardless. That's right. Another thing that uh, we catch a lot of is, is white bass on those flies. Uh, white bass love them and yep. you I, the only thing i can if you've never caught them i would compare them to like a crappie on steroids uh they got way meaner of an attitude and uh they they're pretty willing to bite anything you put in front of them whether it's a hair jig a fly uh mepsaglio with a little bucktail or no bucktail at all small rapalas twister tails if they're there and they're they're chewing they the uh they let you know it they're, they're just angry fish. Like, they, they will bite anything that goes in front of them. Between them and the sheep's head. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I I fished primarily in my waders, too, just to be able to combat, you know, uh, traffic, boat traffic. And honestly, some of the spots that I fished were in town. So the water's pretty skinny, and my boat's a little on the bigger side to be able to fit in that water. And I don't know, it was just out of convenience to be able to grab the waders and grab two rods at one as a backup, just in case I follow one up or snag it or bust it off. 
and just a box full of jigs and maybe a bucket of minnows. Kept it pretty simple. Pack light and, and run and hit a few spots around one dam. If nothing's going on there, get in the truck with all the gear and run to the next dam. What's also crazy is with the waders, you get to access some areas that a boat won't be able to get to. Because there are areas where walleyes run where there is physically no chance of a boat getting into it. And that's almost prime picking for walleye fishing. I can think of a few places like that um, out by me here. In fact, one spot I think I've been fishing since I was a kid. And on high water years, it would flood up into the timber in one area. And you could go in there and you, you got to fish it a certain way, but it, it takes a little bit of practice to figure it out. But we figured that if we fished heavy enough, heavy enough weights on braid, lighter lighter leaders, and kind of kept them shorter so the, the minnow didn't swim around too much. Um, you know, eight-pound test, floral leader, 20-pound braid, um, probably a half to three-quarter ounce sinker to keep it from the, the current from sucking it out and let that minnow swim around in the logs. Walleyes were in there, and we caught some dandies in in that flooded timber using those and you throw a jig in there you're constantly trying to fish a jig in there you're always getting hung up so you're better off throwing a live bait rig in there and letting that minnow swim around and i've had it too where i've had walleyes hook hook into a walleye and let it play and it gets through the logs and by some miracle we get it out sure that's also uh we've had luck too on like number five and number seven uh flicker shads cast in, into that tight stuff because at least with that you if you hit something you let off and it usually floats up over that or you the, get over the log or the bill will, will actually kind of deflect it away from the when it when it bounces off the, the the diving bill of that bait it'll kick it off the log yep no exactly and that's just i mean to be honest not that walleyes are easy to catch but this time of year when the walleye start running throw something shiny anything and you can get a walleye to bite on it there's no you know if it's a tough bite yeah you're gonna have to work a little bit for it but if they're if they're biting they're coming up and they're heavy you could throw damn near anything and they'll, they'll bite it in the right scenario yep yeah that flicker shad shad wrap both of those are good baits to throw in the river if you're just tired of pulling a jig and you want to try that um you know the, even a rip even a rip and wrap yeah you know a lipless crankbait or something like that, something different. If you're not going to catch walleye, you'll definitely catch white bass on those. So Absolutely. Yeah, I I haven't gotten the boat out yet. Um, I'm afraid of what I'm going to find in mine. <laughs> <laughs> All food matter was cleaned out of it, I promise you, but uh, it uh, there's some maintenance things I want to attend to, and I need the time to do it. I don't want to just go launch it and go fish out of it because Murphy's Law will be that something will take a crap while I'm out there right after I leave the boat launch. That's how it always works. Yeah. Cool. What else you got? Um, not much. I mean, to be honest, I'm starting to prep some, some open water gear that's not open yet. You know, starting to prep some musky gear, got a new musky rod from one of the trade shows and started to get some of that going, but other than that, I mean, you, you're doing more prep work than I am for your Florida trip. So 
Yeah, that's uh, that's coming quick here. Uh, I got a backpack that's got a couple of. I mean, I'm not going to need much for tackle. A couple of a couple of uh, artificial lures, which all fit in a Plano 3700, and then I have uh, another 3700 set up with weight and extra swivels and extra floats and beads and things like that. And then I built a handful of rigs, and I've got a, a worm wallet full of them. So that's all going to go in the backpack and and be ready to go and just grab a couple rods and some sand spikes and a cooler full of bait, hopefully, and make my way out there. Uh, how about uh, any fish you cooking up lately? Yeah, we, uh, I know me and you talked about this, and it's it's actually funny. I had a conversation with a guy the other day um, who was interested in the podcast, which I, th- I thought was cool, you know, meeting somebody that would actually listen to the podcast. and uh, It is cool. Yeah, it's and we, uh, definitely and we thank all of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you for the support. Um, what he he brought up, and I actually brought up to him too. We were thinking of doing uh, maybe an, a full episode on it, not necessarily tonight. We can tap into it a little bit here, but do an episode on you know maybe seasonal what we do with our catch, you know, eating wise, how we prepare it, what we do with it, stuff like that, and. Um, he actually brought that up to me after me and you talked to it, so I thought it was quite coincidental. Yeah, and, pretty ironic that uh, all of a sudden we're, we're getting somebody to say, hey, you guys should do a cooking episode. So that's probably going to be in the works here in the very near future, or you're going to hear, a, a, if nothing else, you're going to hear something mentioned at least monthly about, hey, this is how I cook this fish kind of thing. Yep, but, sure, because I, I think that's a good thing to, to have to open people's eyes. You know, catching fish is half the fun. The second half is enjoying what you caught, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, so I actually, I have one of my recipes that I got handed down to me from my father-in-law and it's, it's a little untraditional, but delicious for, you got a bag of bluegills, crappies, perch from ice fishing laying around. Wait, wait you had me at untraditional. Let's hear it. <laughs> it's, it's basically, I don't know if there's an actual name for it, but we just call it bluegill dip. Okay. Um, but it could also be used with, you know, crappie, perch, whatever. Any white fish? Yep. Any white, any, any pan fish, basically. Um, even some small bass, if you happen to catch some small bass through there, but, um, yeah, I'll go ahead and read you the recipe. And then if you guys are interested in it, we'll make it a point to get it up on OKS Hunter's page yeah. for now. Yeah. Um, I'll do my best to get that information over and, get this recipe up if it's something that appeals to you guys. So it's, it's super simple. Um, basically I was list off a couple of ingredients and what you kind of got to do with it. You basically need eight ounces of brick cream cheese, half cup of mayo, quarter cup of green onions chopped up, two tablespoons of horseradish, eighth cup of hot sauce or red pepper sauce, whatever your fancy is or no hot sauce. If you, don't like spicy stuff. Um, and the exact quote in the recipe book is a dash of Worcestershire. So use it at your own degree. A dash is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. It could be heavy. It could be light. You know, if you like you who's your sister sauce, you better put more in. <laughs> then you take that with um, a quarter cup of milk and then roughly six ounces of cooked fish. You could do more. You could do less to your uh, tasting. But th- those are the main ingredients of it, and it, it 
basically entails you melt the cream cheese down, you cook the fish, um, you add all the, the mayo, you know, your Worcestershire, your green onions, horseradish sauce, or the hot sauce, mix it all together, um, top it with your fish, mix everything in real good, your cooked fish, I need to clarify that, pan, pan fry it and some salt and pepper real quick. Just basic, um, no breading, just, just plain old fry it until it's flake, flaking apart. Yep, exactly. Then you want to break it apart a little bit, and then literally you put every mix everything together, top it with a little bit of smoked paprika, let it chill for I don't know, an hour, hour or two till everything cools down, and dip it in your favorite cracker or put it on bread, whatever you want to do. It's a different way to eat some panfish instead of you know breading them and deep frying them like everybody does. That does sound good. I've had something similar, but instead of panfish, coho salmon. Coho salmon or trout even would work, smoked trout. Oh, that actually sounds pretty good too. Yeah, you get that little bit of a smoky flavor in that in that dip. My buddy calls it salmon crack dip. He, uh, he handed me a recipe, and I think I made it twice now. But it's, uh, it's real good. Yeah, it's... Uh... Definitely a different way to eat some of the panfish you got, you know, collecting frost up in your freezer. Yeah, that's just it. We're kind of getting to the point where maybe you've uh, replenished some of your fillets over the ice fishing season, or you got some salmon fillets in in the freezer. It's time to maybe burn them up so you can make room for new stuff so you're not wasting it all. Um, Yep. I just did some salmon not too long ago. Uh, I had one and a half king fillets left from last time actually i think the stuff was two years old but it still wasn't freezer burnt so i was able to make use of it and it uh it turned out pretty good um i usually give a good chunk of it to my mother-in-law and she'll throw it on a salad but you know that's a simple one too where it's just a a brown sugar and salt brine you just let it let it uh soak in that for eight to 24 hours you can get by with eight but it doesn't turn out as good as if it were to go 12 sure and if you can wait 12 maybe you can wait another two and go 14 or something i don't know but it's not hard to do you get your if you got a smoker it makes it real easy i don't i'm i'm a cheap ass and i go with my weber grill and i i play around with coal and keeping temperature regulated by adjusting vents and adding or taking away coal and if you got time to sit around and do that and it's nothing else and it's an excuse to, to drink a beer or a, a beverage of your choice and watch uh, watch the world go by while it's smoking. Yeah. I mean, also, it's just enjoying what you catch, too. Yeah. I mean, because we, we can all catch fish for the fun. You love the, the bent rod. You love all that stuff. But when you keep fish, you got to enjoy it afterwards. And not that I'm sick of the old fish fry, but it's always nice to have – it's nice some, to do some something different. Yeah, and like most of these fish that I'm going to be catching in Florida, yeah, I can I can either bread them in cornmeal or or do a, a beer batter of some sort. Man, it's really tough to beat just either a cast iron or a stainless steel skillet. Throw a pat of butter in there, get it get it going. Throw a little onion, throw a little garlic, and then throw your fillet in there with a little salt and pepper on it. Nice and simple. Um, a lot of those ocean ocean fish are, you know, they turn out just perfect that way. You don't have to get real crazy with it. But let the fit let the fish speak for itself. Yeah, that's really 
really what it's all about. I mean, I've pan fried walleye that way too. No, no breading on it, and it's turned out good. Well, I think that's going to cover it for tonight. Works for me. Works for you. All right. Well, I wish we had more for you. We don't. So we'll talk to you on the next one. I think we're going to have a guest for the next one. Sounds like a plan. All right. 